There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. Soul to soul on your radio air Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Pekude Tavshin Pebeis. It's Roish Sheni. Yes, this is the month we've all been waiting for. The month where finally we will get to celebrate Purim as it should be celebrated. Ezra Hashem, we're all looking forward to it. It's less than two weeks away, and please Ezra Hashem, next week. We'll be devoting our program to Purim contact, probably the week after also, which is Shushan Purim. Today, let's deal with the Pasha, Pasha's Pekudei, the final Pasha in Sefer Shemais. Ela Pekudei Mishkan Mishkan Ha'edus. These are the reckonings of the Mishkan, the Mishkan of testimony. Now, Rashi notes the double use of the word Mishkan. He explains that it alludes to the two Botei to the two Mishkanais, right, which were taken as a mashkain, as a collateral, until that day in which we do tshuva and become deserving of having our collateral returned to us. With Be'ezashem, the building of the Be'ez HaMikdash Ashlisi, the third Be'ez HaMikdash. Rav Yesef Chaim Zonnefeld asks a powerful question. The Torah provides for a Lender, we know, he's allowed to take collateral from someone to whom he lends money. Otherwise, he has little or no assurance that his money is actually going to be returned. The Torah, however, presents one condition. If the debtor is poor and the collateral that he has given to someone he, he needs, let's say, at night... Let's say, for example, you took his collateral, his pillow, or his blankets, so the lender has to return it to him at night and take it back the next morning. If this is the case, how is it that HaKadosh Baruch has taken our Botemikdash and not returned them? We need them back as soon as possible, right? Sure, our, 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 our whole spirituality, our lives depend on it. Rav Yosef Chaim responds, with an answer that indicates the critical importance of increasing Klal Yisrael's sense of yearning for Mashiach. He explains that the idea behind returning the collateral is based upon the premise that the poor man requires it for his existence, i.e. he can't sleep without his blanket or pillow. Can we truthfully assert that we cannot function without the Beis Do we actually feel the pain of the Shechina? Of the, 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 of the, that Akash Baruch Hu's Shechina is in, is in, is in Golis? Right? Do we feel that? Do we think that Akash Baruch Hu does not want to return the Beis as soon as we demonstrate a, a, a craving and an eagerness to, to, have it, to have it back? Right? We're all too settled, we're all too complacent with our lives. We have become accustomed to not having a base Mikdash, as is kind of expressed by the popular statement, which to me is one of the most ambiguous and meaningless statements 
around. It is what it is. And we do nothing about it. Right? Advances that although Cloudy so as a whole, in its entirety, hasn't merited the return of the base of Mikdash, it does not mean that each individual who sincerely yearns for its rebuilding is not to be considered as if he himself had the base of Mikdash. In other words, both a general kind of cumulative component and an individual component exists concerning the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash. Each individual Jew who truly pines for the base of Mikdash, who agonizes over the Golis, over the exile, and, and the terrible state that Kleiso finds herself in without it, merits to some extent that the Shekinah will dwell within him. He will enjoy the return of the collateral, the collateral even on his own individual on his own individual level. The you know in previous generations, right? Perhaps because they were, I don't know, exposed to much less Gashmi's materialism, Jews, even the simple sort of uh, un unschooled Jew of the shtetl, right, was so far removed from, from uh, you know, scholarship itself, they were more focused on the coming of, of Mashiach and would talk about it with a real sense of expectation each day, right? The rival of Mashiach was imminent, and therefore, often the thrust of their conversations was about it. Moshe Sternbach relates that his mother had purchased a new dress. It was a special dress which her family expected her to wear for some special occasion for a simcha. Right? She agreed. Yes, it will be put aside for a special occasion, a day of extreme joy and rejoicing when Mashiach Tzikainu will finally arrive. This is one more for nine high FM, soul to soul. Please stay with us. There's so much more coming up. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your way to air of Shabbos. Thank you for joining us as we spend a bit of time together on this Erev Shabbos, trying to perhaps wrestle with some of the issues that might be contemporary in our lives, things that are bothering us, things that, are, uh, uh, things that we want to learn more about and understand more about. And of course, this is the last week that we're going to be dealing with the building of the Mishkan. For the last five weeks, we've been wrestling, we've been kind of discussing <coughs> all kinds of issues around the Mishkan. So this is perhaps a time as we're leaving the issue to take a step back and have a bit of an overview of the whole topic and maybe get some, some conceptual understanding of what actually is, is, is going on going on. You know, the Baramayim Chaim says that it's well known that in we, way back in Pasha's Tzavah, we dealt with the issue of Maisha Benu's name not being mentioned in, in, the, in the Pasha. It says, Atta HaKrev, you bring them close. Atta Dadaba, you speak, but it doesn't actually mention his name. And the Zayra Kaddish explains that the reason was because since Maisha Benu in going to bat for the Jewish nation to try to save them after they have committed the 
terrible act of the golden calf of the Egel Azov, Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you're not going to forgive the Jewish nation, rather erase me totally from your Sefer Torah. And he actually wanted, he shouldn't be mentioned at, at all, as Rashi in fact explains there. And even though God agreed to forgive Kai Saul for their sin, nevertheless, what Moshe Rabbeinu said made an incredible impression that this Pasha, Pasha Tetzave, he's not mentioned at, uh, at, at all. And of course, we asked that question that this seems so strange. Moshe Rabbeinu, who literally was prepared to give his life for the Jewish nation, that's how much he loved them, that's how much he cared for them, that's how much he wanted them to succeed. And this is the punishment he gets, this is the payback he gets for going to bat for the Jewish nation, that his name is actually expunged from one of the of the Torah, it seems a bit difficult to, to understand. So the truth is that the, uh, uh, in the Sefer, Imre Pinchas, it, it, it says the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned in Pasha's Tetzaveh, he says, Yesh Seid Kamos There's a, a, a deep, deep secret in this, and maybe we can try a little bit to uh, unfathom what that secret might might uh, might be. <clears throat> the truth is, if one looks at the whole picture, the reality is that it's true that Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned at all in Parshas Tetzave. But if one looks at the first Parsha in Parshas Truma, where the original command was given about building the Mishkan, so there you'll find out that Moshe Rabbeinu's name is mentioned just once. The very first passage, that's the only time Moshe Rabbeinu's name is mentioned in all of Pasha's uh, uh, Truma. And therefore, from, from the very first passage in Truma until somewhere in Kisisa, Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned. Now, that seems a little bit that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, 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 spoke about the building of the Mishkan and, and the vessels and the clothing, maybe somehow that means that Moshe Rabbeinu's name cannot be mentioned, and that requires a bit of, a bit of cl- clarification. But there's even a bigger, bigger question. You know, we find here we have five parshiyas with the Torah is going over and over again about the command to build the Mishkan, and then Parshish of Ayaka and Pekude, where it talks in length about the actual building of, of the Mishkan. And, it, and the obvious question raises itself, why was it necessary to repeat the whole process again? We know what had to be done. Why couldn't we have one Pasuk that says that Moshe and Betzalah, whoever was involved, did exactly as Hashem had commanded and built the Mishkan and, and, and move on? What, what's the import of, re, of repeating the whole Pashyas of Ayakum Bakude uh, uh, again. So perhaps we can begin to explain it, but we need a bit of an introduction, a bit of a foreword in order to do that. We know that the, uh, there's a whole machlekes, whole argument amongst the Rishonim. At what point were the Jews commanded about the mitzvah of building a Mishkan? Was it actually even before the sin of the golden calf, as would seem by the actual order of the 
Parshas, where we have Truma and Tetzavah, where they were commanded to build the Mishkan and make the clothing for the Kohen Gadol. And that's still before the narration of the story of the Egel Azov. And then, you know, and then uh, uh, came the Egel Azov, and, and, and therefore, uh, uh, that, that would be the or. or. Perhaps there is an opinion that says that B'nai Israel were commanded to build the Mishkan only after the, the act of the Egel. And we have a, a standing principle of Ein You cannot uh, necessarily dictate that the order in which the Pashis, the, the narration in the Torah is, is brought is meant to be literal and things could be out of out of order, and therefore, really, Kisisa should have been before Tumor, that the Egel took place even before the command to build the, the Mishkan. Now, Rashi, Rashi in two places, both in Paraglam and Aleph and Paraglam and Gimel, says that no, there is no order in, in the Torah, and the command to build the Mishkan was told to the Jewish nation only after the sin of the, of the Egel. And, and that's also the opinion of the Svarna in, in Perik, Perik uh, Chavtale and possible also that the Medrash Rabbah also seems to hold, seems to hold that, that, uh, that way. But in, in the opposite corner, we have the Ramban, right, which is uh, brought at, in length at the beginning of, of Pasha Struman, also in Vayikra Periches that these parshas were actually said literally in order of the way they happened. And to quote, to quote him, why do, why, do we, why do we have to argue? Why do we have to dispute the order of the way Hashem's Torah is presented? And in fact, we find the, the Zaira Kaddish also, who holds that the command to build the Mishkan was before the whole story of the, uh, of, of the Egel. Right? And Tanandavilyo also seems to, to hold to hold that way. Now the Shemi Shmuel asks, based on this, a very, very potent question. And he asks that if you think about it, and you think about the the opinion of the Medushraba and, and Rashi, that the command to build the Mishkan was only after the Egel, what would have happened? if the Jews had not made the Egel. And, and the Sephora also, who follows the opinion of, of, of Rashi and Medrashah, but he writes even more. It says that if the Jewish nation had not done the Avera, they wouldn't have needed a Mishkan and its Kalim at all. Right? And just like up until that point, right, you had a Mizbeach Adam, you could build a, a, a mezbeach, anyway, wherever you mention my name, I'll come, they didn't need a, a, a mishkan. You can look in, in, in the words of the, of the, of the, of this, of this farna at the end of Pasha's, Pasha's uh, uh, Yisrael. But this is so difficult to conceptualize, because if we say that the Jews would have remained on their very, very, very high level that they had at the time of Matan Torah, and that's why they didn't need a mikdash and, 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 and the kalim. So certainly, as time went on, they would continue to fulfill that very, very, very high level and, and reach all kinds of amazing, amazing milestones and grow even greater. 
and even before they were the Misa of the Egel. So then, what about a Beis HaMikdash? Would they in fact even need a Beis HaMikdash? Well, well, we can't say they wouldn't need it because in Yechezkel, there's prokem about a prokem about Nevoah, about how the third Beis HaMikdash is going to is going to be and and it's written explicitly in in uh, in in Yeshaya that uh, there's going to be a a a base mikdash base elake elake yankov and there's so many mentions of the base mikdash throughout the, the 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 Torah throughout the Tanakh was this only a a second sort of hand thing that came about only because of the sin of the Eglazov and, and without that there wouldn't have been a base mikdash base mikdash was the was the only place we were allowed to mention Hashem's name explicitly and there were all the miracles could this only have been a, a sort of a, a last-ditch effect that came about after Klaisol did Navera, it seems very, very difficult to understand. Please stay tuned. Uh, and as we come back, we're going to try to plumb the depth of it and understand a little bit more about it. This is 11.9 High FM, the program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. There's so much more to learn. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 1.9 Chai FM Soul to Soul Back on your way to Shabbos Kodesh Parshas Pekudei Tav Shin Pei Beis We are talking about the Mishkan and we just in the previous segment asked a seeming contradiction What does it mean to say that the order to build the Mishkan only was given as some of the Mephoshim say only after the Egel Azav only after the Golden Calf which means that were it not for the sin of the golden calf, then there might not have been a Mishkan at all. If there was no Mishkan, well, what does that mean? Would there not have been a Beis HaMikdash either? But we have, we're full of, our, our, our Torah, our Navi is full of predictions and, and about the Beis HaMikdash. We even have a whole prophecy in the Cheskel about the third Beis HaMikdash. What is going on. What is the base mikdash? Would it have existed? Would it not have existed? Etc. etc. So let's begin with the following point and we'll take it from there. There's a very big distinction between the menorah and all the other utensils that were made in the base mikdash. The aron, the ark, the shulchan, the table, the in the inner mizbeach, all of them, we're told, had a zair, had a crown around, around them. A little decorative piece that was called a crown. The menorah did not have a crown. And there must be something significant in that. You know, there's a, a Mishnah in Pirkeovis, which says, in the name of Rabbi Shimon, it says, there are three types of crowns. There's the crown of Torah, there's the crown of Kuhuna, of priesthood, and there's the, the crown of Malchus, of kingship, the Keser Shem Toiv Oila Al Gaben, and the crown of a good name is even greater than all of them. Writes the Maral from Prague in his Sefer on Perkyavis, Derech, Derech Echaim, and he says, Rav Shimon brings these three crowns, and he asks, What do you mean, the three crowns? Why doesn't it just simply say there are four crowns 
and you could then you could say, and the main crown of all four of them is the 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 name of 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 a keser shemta. Why why doesn't it write it that way? Why does it write three? And then this one is even greater than than the uh, than 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 the others. Furthermore, it says that we know that the uh, the base of mikdash. Uh, corresponded to all of these different uh, uh, crowns. There was a certain kli, a certain of the, of the utensils that alluded to each one of these crowns because the Oran, we know, was of course the crown that is the symbol of the Keser Torah. The, the Oran contained the, the Luchot, the Zer of the Shulchan, Right was an indication for the Keser of Malchus because the Shulchan always alludes to 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 the opulence, to wealth, to the concept of of, of kingship. As in fact, the the Gemara says, the, it's called the Shulchan Shalmalachim, the table of of of, of kings, and, and the golden altar, of course, indicated the crown of of Kuhuna. But it's interesting. That the fourth crown, the Keser Shem Toiv, the Keser of a good name, there was no implement, there was no Kaili in the Mishkan that corresponded to to that. The the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah brings brings down that the Menorah uh, uh, alludes to this crown of of a good name. Why? Because a good name, a good reputation, is referring to someone who does. Mitzvahs, and that's referring to the menorah because we know near mitzvah the Torah or candles are are symbolized by a a a mitzvah, and therefore the menorah alludes to this crown of a good name of a good reputation, and therefore it makes sense that keser shem toiv oile al gabein that the crown of a good name is greater than all them because the menorah was also greater than all the other three uh, accounts. It was, it was taller physically. It was, it was majestic. And that's why it says there were three crowns and this crown of the Shem Tov was, was greater than, than all of them. Now, we know that everything that exists in this, in this world is just an example of what there is in, in the upper world. In other words, the, the main, main world is, of course, what's, what's in, in Shemayim. And, and just, it, it filters down through many, 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 many different facets until it arrives in a physical manifestation in this, in this, uh, in this world. We find this especially as regards the building of the Mishkan and, and the base of Mikdash. As in fact, the Gemara in Chagiga says, we had it just a while ago on, on Daf Yud Beis, that in Shemayim, there's a base of Mikdash. And there's a Mizbeach. And Michael, the great, the great Malach, is standing and bringing Korbanus on that, on that Mizbeach. And the Medjish Talchuma says the same thing on the word, Eile Pekudeha Mishkan. This is the accounting of the Mishkan. That's what the Pasuk says. Says Menish, Hashem I love the dwelling place of your house. That's referring to this Hechel, which is uh, uh, directly above or directly connected 
to Mishkan Kvaidecha, the Mishkan of Hashem's honor. Says Rav Shemi Bedechai, this means to say that the Hechal, the Besamikdash down here, is directly corresponding to the Hechal, to the Besamikdash that exists in in Shemaim. In fact, the apostle says, Hashem Mikdash Hashem The Mikdash down here is exactly parallel, exactly synced with the base of Mikdash that exists in uh, in 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 Shemaim. And the same thing we find regarding our own Nishamas. That even though we know that we have a Nishama inside our our body, as in fact the Gemara in Brachas uh, says, just like Hakadosh Baruch Hu fills the whole world, so too the neshama fills up all of our all of our bodies. But that part of neshama that's in our body is only a very 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 small, the very very uh, uh, most minute part of the bottom of of the neshama. The 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 greater part of of the neshama is. In in Shemaim, in in the upper in the upper world, as is brought by by many of the uh, by many of the of, of this forum, that the 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 name of a person is really sort of the identity of the neshama, and we really have actually two names. One is what we're called down here, which corresponds to that very small part of the neshama that is dressed. Kind of that resides in in our body, and there's this other name. What's the main part of neshama which resides in Shemaim? What is called what he, what we're called up up there in 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 Shemaim. Now this all sounds a little bit nary very well. We'll, we'll we're going to bring it down to earth very shortly. The the Nefesh brings down that the Iker, the main part of a person, is sort of planted. Up in in Shemaim, with with the the root of his neshama comes from, and that's why the the body is called now. It's called just a a shoe. It's just the very very bottom of the of the uh, of the neshama is is contained in the in in the, in the in the body. And the concept over here is that a person who is truly perfect, a person who truly works on himself and raises himself to a high level. So you have to realize that, that you, the, the, the greater part of our entity is planted, is connected to the very root of our neshama in, in, uh, in Shemaim. And it goes through all kinds of trans, transitions and different worlds until the, the other end, the very, very bottom end, Comes into the into the human in the human in body, and that's what says ki Hashem amoy Yaakov chevel nachalasa. We're just a rope that the main part of the rope is tied, and 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 sort of secured in 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 Shemayim near the kisiyakovel. If such thing could be said, and it kind of like a like a rope, it's got kind of hangs down through this rope all the way. It comes till the till the uh, uh, body. Of a, of a person. And whatever we do goes straight up that rope and connects to the very, very essence of, of, a, of our neshama, like a rope that you can climb up and get to the very, very essence of where our neshama 
actually is is rooted. And the greater a person is, the bigger a tzaddik a person is, the more he's able to bring down the the incredible light of his neshama that's in Shemayim and bring it down into his body, and that makes him the great person. That makes the countenance. The, that makes the, the 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 beauty of the tzaddik is the amount of of light from his from his neshama in Shemayim that he's able to bring down to, down to this to this uh, to this earth. Another point we just have to make before we bring it all all together. There are various psukim where we find that Hashem says to Moshe that B'tzalel is going to be the one that builds the, the Mishka and not, not Moshe. And, and we have to understand the Medrash Rabbah in, in, this, in this week's Pasha says, oh sorry, uh, that, that Moshe Rabbeinu had tremendous difficulty building the Menorah more than any of the of the vessels of, of the of the Mishkan. Until Akarishbach who had to first show them an image of what the Minara was, and even then Mahishabinu couldn't get it. And eventually Hashem said, just throw it in the fire and I will make the Minara uh, altogether. And the obvious question is, Mahishabinu, it wasn't actually his function to to be involved in actually making of the of, of the of the Kalim. Uh, right, Moshe Rabbeinu could merely have given over to Betzal, as he did with everything else, the instructions of how to make the menorah, and Betzal would already uh, would have figured out how to how to make it, just like he managed to figure out all the other things in the in the Mishkan, because Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave him this ruach chokma and tvuna, and he could do. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu mutshuksayim? Why was Moshe Rabbeinu even involved in the in the uh, in the process. So it's brought in the in the uh, uh Zakanim that the the uh, he holds that the beginning of the commandment of the Mishkan was still before the sin of the Egel. And after they tripped up in, in the sin of the Egel, then they were again commanded a second a second time. And then we find that in, in the Ramban also in Pashas Bayaka. He says that Moshe Rabbeinu, after he told Aaron and the Nesim and all the Bnei Israel that uh, whatever Hashem had told him to do, he then subsequently broke the Luchas. And then after that, once now, his face was shining and he had a, this, this veil on his face. Now he gathered all of the Jews again together, might have been the day after Yom Kippur, and again recommanded them the whole concept of the Mishkan, which he had already commanded them before he actually uh, uh, broke, broke the Luchas. Therefore, we can say that there were actually two episodes of the Mishkan. Before the sin of the golden calf, the Mishkan that they were told to make was something completely different than the command of the, of making the Mishkan that was after the sin. Because the main point of building the Mishkan before the sin of the Egel was had nothing to do, really, with what's going on down here. The main point of a Mishkan that existed before the sin of the of the Egel was to build a Mishkan that would correspond to the Mishkan in, in Shemaim.
And the Mishkan that would be down here was only a, a secondary and just a kind of a imaginary, or perhaps in a real form, but an imaginary a, a, a replica of what was being what was made in Shemayim in order to to arouse us and and to hint to us and remind us about the great Mishkan that existed in in Shemayim. After the Jews sinned in the whole uh, story of the of the Egel, and unfortunately they fell backwards many 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 levels. Then came a new mitzvah to build a Mishkan here down in this world as a as a fixture not only to be secondary and just a as as a reminder about the the mishkan and to and to arouse us and to allude to the upper mishkan but a building of a mishkan down here would be had its own purpose by itself and that may be the difference between what we learned in the parshas of truma and Tetzaveh to what we're reading now in the Pashas of Ayakal and Pekude. Because in Truma and Tetzaveh, that was before the sin of the Egel. And then the main purpose of the building of, of the Mishkan was the Mishkan in, in Shemaim. And the Pashas of Ayakal and Bukude, which took place after the sin of the Egel, then the entire command and the entire purpose of the Mishkan had had changed, what was said in Truman Tetzavah no longer was really relevant. The main kavan of the Mishkan now was to build a Mishkan and its, and its kalim here on this earth. And only as a, almost as, as a, a, a side point was there an allusion to the fact that this was connected to the Mishkan in, in Shema. In other words, before the sin, the main Mishkan was above in Shemaim. And after the Chet, the main Mishkan was down here on this, on, this, uh, on this earth. And therefore we could say that even according to the opinion of Rashi and, and the Medrash Rabbah, who hold that even if the Jews had not sinned, they wouldn't have needed a Mishkan Nekelim. The intention is we wouldn't have needed a Mishkan Nekelim to be built essentially down here. But even they agree that they would have built and established a Mishkan that was meant to be a, a facsimile and a reminder of the Mishkan in, in, in Shemaim. And therefore, the, the question that the Shemi Shmuel asked on the Sfarna falls away. He asked about how can we have all these prophecies about the building of the third Beis HaMikdash, where then everything is going to be fulfilled by that time, we're going to have reached a level of, of perfect, perfection, and we're going to go back to the level even greater than we were before the sin of the, of the, golden, of the golden calf. And the Rosh Shmuel asked that according to what the Sfarna says, that before the Chet, they didn't even need a, a, a Mishkan. Therefore, why do we find that Yecheskel had this whole prediction of the third of the third base of Mikdash, as as as, as is written quite quite uh, quite explicitly? So, therefore, now we can understand very very well that even before the sin of the of the Egel, they needed to build a a base Hamikdash or or a Mishkan, but that was a base Mikdash. Lamala was a base Mikdash in Shemayim that just had a, a representation down, down, down here. 
And of course, we know that uh, 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 the third base of Mikdash is actually going to come down from from Shemaim. It's going to be a, a base of Mikdash of a fire from from uh, from Shemaim, as we in fact speak about on uh, on Tishbav in the in the in in the in the Kinas. And then there's going to be a complete unity between Shemaim and Aretz, between what's above and what's and what's below, and that's going to be even on a higher level than anything we could ever have uh, have uh, have imagined. Than when the base of was just in in uh, in in, in Shemaim, and therefore we can now understand why Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not written in Pasha's Truma and in Pasha's Tetzave, because. At that point in Kurum Tetzave, the main purpose of the Mishkan was to build it a Mishkan in, in Shemayim. And to build such a Mishkan, you have to be on such a high level. You literally have to kind of leave your physicality behind and connect yourself to to the part of the neshama that transcends the guf and is connected to 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 shamayim and, and and literally connect yourself to to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and only then are we able to build such a a rarefied spiritual mishkan and maybe that's what what uh, Rav Pinchas uh, tells us that there is this say there's a secret why it was that Moshe Rabbeinu's name wasn't written in the building of the Mishkan because at the time the building of the Mishkan it, it, it was necessary to be a Mishkan that was going to be a successful embodiment of the Mishkan Shemaim Moshe Rabbeinu almost had to reach such a level where he would kind of separate himself from his physicality from the name that he was called down here on earth and connect himself completely to 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 Shemayim. and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu specifically was chosen to build that first Mishkan, to build the Mishkan in Shemayim. because he alone had that ability to almost strip himself of his of his physical body and connect himself or, or connect the neshama that was down here, which is called we said called the now. And, and to connect himself completely to, to the part of his neshama that is connected in, in, in Shemaim, as in fact is, is brought in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in this form. That, and that's what it means when, when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu came to the, to the, burning, to the burning bush to, to see what was going on, why the, why the, why the bush wasn't even, why, why the bush wasn't even burning. So Hashem told him, don't come here, shal nalecha, remove your shoe. And, and that was uh, hinting that you want to really see a, a vision of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Remove your physicality, connect yourself completely to spirituality, and then you will be able to build that Mishkan. So therefore we understand there were two different additions uh, uh, of, of the Mishkan. The first one was built only by Maishu Rabbeinu, but in such a way where there was no Maishu Rabbeinu in the physical world left, and that's why his name is not mentioned in Truman Tetzaveh. And the Mishkan we're dealing with now, by Yaakov Akudeh, was in the aftermath of the Cheikh, where Klai Yisrael, unfortunately, was on a lower level, and they had to build an actual physical structure that was built by, by Betzalel, and Maishu Rabbeinu just had an over- overseeing an advisory role. We'll be back in a moment with much, much more. This is 101.9 and the program is Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. We're just warming up. 
This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kurdish Pashas, Pekude, Tav, Shin, Pei, Bez, Reish, Chedesh, Adar, Shani, as we get ready for Purim. Purim is less than two weeks away and such an exciting, exciting time. But let's focus a bit on Shabbos and as we always do at this point on the show to sort of give you the important times that you need to know for this coming Shabbos. So, the earliest time for benching Licht today is at 17 minutes past five. It's getting steadily earlier, 5.17. You can already get those candles up and start your Shabbos and really usher in the aura, the, the holiness, the Kedusha, the beautiful sanctity and, and, and the restful atmosphere. Of, of, of a of a Shabbos. You don't have to wait to the last minutes. Hop around and, and grab a few extra minutes of of uh, of Shabbos. Again, particularly if you're not going to be going to to shul, then why not start the Shabbos as early as you possibly as you possibly can. Right? Get everything done before and and grab grab the Shabbos. The latest time for benching Lich today is at 17 minutes past six which is absolutely the, the latest time. Of course, many communities still follow the standard summertime, which is the last week that's going to be relevant, which, of course, is 6.15, two-minute two minute difference. But really, uh, make sure you're up and, and running by, by then. Shkia sunset is at 6.35. That, of course, is your injury time. If you really, really uh, uh, are not able to to uh, make it your uh, an urgent, urgent problem, then one can go all the way to 6.35. But under ordinary circumstances, must, one must <coughs> be done by 6.17. Therefore, if you want to daven of bismanli and not have to repeat the, the Krishma, all you have to do is wait then until 6.53, uh, seven minutes before seven, and that already is considered night, and you can you can uh, dive in mind of without having to to repeat the Krishna at at all, and then as always settle down to an amazing amazing Shabbos meal of all the beautiful tender vittles that uh, uh, one's wife has has prepared, and and some zmiras and some divritera, and just a beautiful beautiful Shabbos. Tomorrow is Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Pekude. <coughs> it's Shabbos Chazak. We f- actually finish the Sefer of, of Shemais. And as we said, it's our last kind of glimpse and discussion about the building and construction of, of the, uh, the Mishkan. There's quite an interesting uh, discussion about the Haftarah for this Shabbos, whether we just read the Haftarah that's printed in the Chumashim for Parshas Pekude, or whether in fact we should join together the Haftarah of Ayakel and Pekude, since they are actually adjacent to to each other in the uh, in the Navi, and we actually are both talking about the completion of the of the Mishkan by Shlomo Melech, and therefore we should read them both. I guess follow the instruction of your Luach or, or your Rov in determining which which uh, which one you're going to you're going to read. Shabbos then proceeds. It's uh, it's not one of the special Shabbosos. Please God, next week, which is the Shabbos before Purim, will be a Shabbos Pashas Zohar. That's the big one. That's the one where, according to many people, you have to get to shul to hear. 
Parshas uh, Parsha Zohar, but this week is just a regular a regular uh, Parsha and regular Aftarah. Uh, Shabbos proceeds as normal, Baruch Hashem, and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at six minutes past seven. Seven o six is uh, is the end of Shabbos, and this week is a normal week, busy week. We're getting ready, ready for Purim is definitely on the horizon, and we're busy preparing and and shopping and getting getting ourselves in shape for for that. We are at the moment learning the laws of Kiddush and uh, the Friday night Kiddush and let's touch for a minute. We said you have to you have to make Kiddush on Friday night over a cup, a cup of wine, a cup of grape juice, whatever whatever it might it might be. And in order to fulfill this mitzvah of of Kiddush, it's necessary that the amount of wine contained in, in the cup should be a, a significant amount that gives it a, a sense of, of importance in order that the, the bracha that we're making, and, and that's both the bracha that we're going to be saying and the, the, the incredible blessing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings down to us because of the mitzvahs we do, should have on what to take, to take effect. Now, this amount, the minimum amount of wine that one can have in a cup to fulfill the mitzvah of of Kiddush is it's at least the the uh, volume of an egg and a half what we call a revius or revius halug look a quarter of, of 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 a lug and this is the amount that needs to be in any cup that I'm going to be making a bracha that I'm going to be fulfilling a mitzvah over if the cup contained less than that amount you haven't fulfilled the actual the actual mitzvah. It needs to be that, that amount. Now, it was usually pretty accepted uh, that the amount, this or the volume of an egg and a half, which the, the Rambam brings down, is approximately the amount of 86 uh, uh, milliliters. And that, that's according to the evaluation of Rav Chaim Noah. However, if we sort of really are, are much more exact about it, the exact shear, which the Rambam says, is even less than that. Actually, 75 mils is already, is already sufficient. However, there are some opinions that are stricter, and they hold no that the eggs that we have today are actually smaller and they've basically shrunk to almost half the size of eggs that used to be at the time of Chazal. And therefore, what we actually require in the cup in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Kiddush is an amount of 150 mil. And that is the opinion of the, of the, of the Chaznish. Practically speaking, so the, the main kind of body of halacha is that although, yes, you can actually make Kiddush over a cup containing 75 mil, but many, many uh, 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 people uh, follow the, particularly on Friday night, where there may be an issue that uh, the Kiddush might even be a biblical obligation. So there, some are machmir, certainly in Lechachila, that they should have in their cup 150, 150 uh, 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 mils. Once you've finished 
making the Kiddush. So then the person who made the Kiddush needs to drink from that cup at least what's called Meloi Lugmo, which means the, the amount of a drink that usually somehow to some degree quenches the thirst of the person who drinks it. How much is that practically speaking? It's the amount of wine that if you would put it into your mouth, if you would push it to one side, one cheek would become expanded and, and full of that, of that liquid. That amount is, generally speaking, a majority of, of the Revius. In other words, if we're saying like the, the Rambam that it's 75, then probably 38 mil would be enough. Um, uh, if you say 86, then it's probably 43. A, a person who has a, a big mouth obviously has to drink uh, more so that it fills up his mouth. It's an individual, subjective uh, uh, amount. Most people, uh, it would be about 50 to 55 mils would be considered already most of, of, uh, of a revius. Even a very, very large person wouldn't need to drink ever more than the shear of a revius. So the maximum would be, let's say, that 75 or 86 mils. That would certainly be the maximum that anyone would have to, would have to drink. If the person who's making Kiddush is unable to drink that much wine, so then someone else who, who heard who was being Yaitzel fulfilled his obligation with their Kiddush so he can take over and actually drink the, the, uh, the Male, the Male Lugmav. Um, Bidyevit, if altogether the person made Kiddush and all those who listen together, they drank the amount of Male, of male Lugmav, so then they fulfilled their obligation on a Bidyevit. Uh, a level in spite of the fact that there's not a single person who drank by himself a a Meloy a Lugmov. We're gonna come back <coughs> with some final comments in in a moment. This is one one point nine Chaif and the program is Soul to Soul and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb only on one oh one point nine high FM 1.9 With a few more minutes we have together, let's learn a couple, another couple of halachas. We said before that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Kiddush, someone, particularly either the person making a Kiddush or someone else, has to drink at least most of a revius. We said that's probably somewhere around 50 to 55 mils for most people, as, as we discussed before. Everyone else who's not drinking the wine actually fulfills their obligation just by listening and saying amen, even though they didn't drink themselves at all from the wine. However, it's a special mitzvah that every single person who heard the Kiddush should get a little bit of wine to, to, uh, to drink. But, lechatchila, one has to actually pay attention that not to actually pour from the cup that the person drank from and, and, and give that wine out because we already learned before that a cup of wine that someone drank from is called pogum, is called impugned, and it can't be used as a kosher bracha, right? But so long as the whole family drinks 
from the cup of Kiddush itself. So then that's not called that they're drinking from a, a pogum, uh, a kais, because they're all drinking, that they're drinking like one, it's one joined drinking. And it's only when we pour the wine into from the cup of Kiddush into other cups, so that's then considered <coughs> a, 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 a pogum. So therefore, if you want to pour from the cup of Kiddush into the cups of all the people that are there, so then you need to add a little bit more wine. If that's the cup where, where the person drank from, then you need to add a little bit more wine from the bottle in order to unpogamize it, and that makes the, 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 wine, the wine drinkable. The best idea would be that the person makes Kiddush over a cup of wine, pours out from that cup into another cup, which he will drink from, and then what's left in the Kaisal Kiddush can then be given out. That wine is certainly not pogum. No one's drunk from that cup, and that can then be distributed to all the people at, at, the, at the meal. That is the best way of doing it. If the person insists on drinking from the cup of wine and then still consider, pours from that very cup into other cups, that's also okay. But if uh, subsequent to the to the uh, uh, person drinking, then the wine is poured into another cup in order to be poured out to the to the cups of the of the people. Then you need to add a little bit more wine from the uh, the 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 bucket from the bottle of wine in order to then make it again usable as a kais as a kais bracha. That really is all the time we're going to have this week to spend together. Somehow the time always flows. Too, too, uh, too quickly and I just want to take the opportunity to wish you first of all for the rest of today a good Chodesh Chodesh Adar should be a, a Chodesh of, of Sasan and, and Simcha of happiness, of joy of real fulfillment, of real coming close to, to the Rabbani Shalom coming close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and it should be a time where we, where we grow where we develop, where we feel a, a, a feeling of satisfaction and we should just have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos together as a family, as a community. Make it count. Make it worthwhile. Make it a time of learning. Make it a time of, of singing. Make it a time of unity. And to our entire radio family, I wish you all a beautiful and meaningful good Shabbos.